pray, and then we'll turn it over to Joe. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your gift that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Good morning again. Before we get started with our uh, Bible, Bible story this morning, I have a couple of words of uh, good news for you. This is my second time up here in front. We're sort of trying this out to see how it would work. Um, so I got two chances. Um, but from here on, you're going to see some other faces up here. Um, next week, Jen Cole is going to tell the Bible story. And then after that, uh, some other folks will follow. So I hope uh, you'll look forward to that, because I am at least. The story that we're going to uh, talk about this morning is one that everybody knows very well, uh, so I'm not going to tell you what it is. We're going to start in the middle. I'm going to pick up the story at a point that sounds something like a song. See how long it takes you to figure out what story we're talking about. It goes something like this. You brought me up out of the pit, O oh Lord. When my life was fading away... I remembered you, and my prayers went up to you in your holy temple. People who trust in vain idols forfeit. They give up their hope in your constant love. But I'm going to worship you with praise and offer my, my sacrifice with thanksgiving. I'm going to keep the promise that I made to you because you have the power to save us. Salvation is yours, O Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and he spit Jonah up onto dry land. The Lord spoke to Jonah again. He said, Jonah, for the second time, I'm going to ask you to go to Nineveh. It's a huge city. It's a magnificent city, but I have a message for it, and I want you to bring a warning to Nineveh. So this time, Jonah obeyed God, and he set out for Nineveh. It was a long ways. Um, but as he approached the city, he could see what a huge place it was, just as God had told him. So he went into the city, and he walked for a whole day as he entered it. And as he walked in, he began to deliver the message that God had for, uh, for Nineveh. He began to tell the, the people there the warning of doom that God had given them. That Forty days. You guys have 40 days left, and this city is going to be destroyed. Forty days till Nineveh is going to be wiped out. Well, the people of Nineveh took Jonah seriously, and they believed the warning that God had given them. So everyone, from the VIPs down to the nobodies, everybody in the city began to fast. And they put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is a very coarse kind of cloth. It's probably made out of goat's hair, so it's very rough. It was a sign, it was a symbol of mourning and also of submission. So everybody put this on, everybody in the city. Well, it wasn't very long before the king of Nineveh got wind of this. And he came right out of his throne. And he went and sat in a pile of ashes and dust. He took off his royal robes and he put on sackcloth too. And he started to write out a decree. He started to write out an order for everybody in the city to obey. It went something like this. By order of the king, that's me and my nobles, um, everyone 
men and women, young people and old people, and by the way, animals too, flocks and herds, oxes and asses, everybody, not going to eat or drink. We're going to fast. Everybody is going to fast. And I want everyone to put on sackcloth. And after you put on sackcloth, I want you to put it on your animals too. Sounds goofy, but do it. Okay? And he said, and then what I want you to do is pray earnestly to the Lord. I want you to stop being so sinful and stop being so cruel to each other. Just maybe, just maybe God will hear our prayer and just maybe he'll have mercy on us and maybe he won't wipe out the city like he said he's going to do. So everybody did that. And God did notice and he heard their prayer and he had mercy on Nineveh and he didn't destroy it. Well, Jonah took notice too and he was upset. In fact, he was flaming mad. He said, I told you so. He said, God, I told you so. This is why I didn't go to, to uh, Nineveh the first time you asked me. This is why I took off for Tarshish when you asked me to come here the first time. I knew what you were like. You're patient and you're merciful and you're compassionate and you never follow through on your punishments. I told you so. He said, I'm just so mad. And so he stamps out of the city, went over to the east side, uh, and he built a little shelter for some shade because it was flaming hot there. Um, and he sat down and he, he decided he was going to just watch and see what happened to the city. Well, that night, God caused a plant to grow up. It was probably a pastor bean plant, a beanstalk. And it grew up and it was very leafy. And it gave him some extra shade, which in that part of the world was uh, something that Jonah really appreciated. He really liked the plant. He was starting to feel better about things. So the next night, God sent a worm. And the worm came along, and he chewed up the stalk of the plant, and he ate the leaves, and the, and the plant withered and died. So when the sun came up the next morning and the hot wind was blowing, Jonah was miserable. He said, I wish I was dead. He said, I would feel better uh, if I was dead than alive, if you let Nineveh off the hook. And God said, Jonah, what right do you have to be mad? He said, you know, you worry about this little plant that died, he said, you didn't plant it, you didn't make it grow, you didn't take care of it. It was here one day, it was gone the next day, and you're mad at me? He said, why shouldn't I care about Nineveh? A huge city, thousands and thousands of people, some of them, lots of them, so naive, they don't even know their left hand from their right, not to mention all the dumb animals. If you had to describe the Jonah story in one word, what would you say? Good. Okay. It's exactly what I was thinking. One word. What would it be? Mercy. Good. By the way, start passing that around. Mercy. Good. What else? Redemption. Good. Anything else? Who said that? Had a boy. Good job. What else? Mercy, redemption, repentance, Hopkins. I just saw your brother Saturday night, by the way. Compassion. Good. What else? Resurrection. That's good. Anything else? 
Forgiveness, yes, that might be the best word because that sums up everything that you all have said. Redemption, mercy, repentance, resurrection, or all, or I'm sorry, in forgiveness, or resurrection are all summed up in forgiveness. Now, if you had to describe forgiveness, what would you say? What does it mean to be forgiven? Who said that? Love? Good. What else? What else? So you got to the point, you know what the story is all about. The story is all about forgiveness. But now if you had to describe forgiveness, what would you say? Say that again? God, yes, God is forgiveness. Good. Grace, good. What else? <laughs> I think we've heard that once. Good job, Carol. Redemption, good. When you forgive someone, what do you do? Cancel the debt. Good, I was hoping someone would say something like that. All right, can you help me pass these out, Joe? Take one side. I'll give you a stack of those. Pastor, can you help with the other side? While you're waiting, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, okay? Luke 15. We'll look at one Bible story that'll help us see what the Jonah story is all about. Here, Vic. Oh, you got some? Okay. Luke 15. See, pop over to verse 11, the prodigal son. You've heard this. You know, they say there are some books you should read every year. There are some Bible stories you should read every year. This is one of them, okay? So Luke 15, 11 to 32, pop that open. Now, who said this story was all about resurrection? They win the prize. Good job, Carol. Where did you get that idea from? Oh, who wrote the margin notes? Yeah, right. You can buy the book for $15.99. Um, I don't get any cut of it, but I would love for CPH to see an influx of orders for fusion resurrections. That would just be poetic justice. All right, when you get that pop open to Luke 15, this story of Jonah is ultimately a story of resurrection. But it's also a story of forgiveness. Now, when we describe forgiveness, first and foremost, I often think, and someone said this or someone alluded to it, our way of describing forgiveness is canceling a debt or removing guilt or someone owes you something and you say, don't worry about that anymore. But if you look at your outline, point number two, and first of all, I need to apologize. Speaking of forgiveness, I have two point number threes there. Um, that, I would say that that's Microsoft Word's fault. I don't know how that happened, but I ran 150 copies of about eight pages each. And then I gave one to Pastor Bruzek, and he said, did you intend to have two point number threes? Uh, I didn't, so we'll blame it on Microsoft Word. But look at, the, look at point number two. And this is all from Jonah, the third chapter, verse two. When the scriptures speak of forgiveness, and this is very important, they do so in the context of a single story. If you've been through the catechumenate in the past two or three years, and probably even before that, but I can at least vouch for the past two or three years, the first thing we say on the first day when the pastors come down is there's a single story in Scripture. There aren't 20 stories or 30 stories. You might have different stories in the Bible, but there's one unified thematic story in Scripture. 
It's the story of death and resurrection. That's the story. Adam and Eve have life in the garden. They die in the garden. What happens? All of the scriptures then point back to resurrection, which ultimately point you back to Eden made new. When the scriptures speak of forgiveness, they do so in the context of a single story, death and resurrection. Forgiveness is not merely the removal of guilt, and sometimes that's the way we Lutherans talk, right? The Lord's forgiven me. He's taken my guilt away. It's that, but it's more. It's not merely the declaration of grace. Those of you who are old Lutherans, you know this talk. It's not like the Lord just looks at you and says, he's a damn sinner, but I'm going to sort of close my eyes and say, okay, he's all forgiven. Okay? It's not a misperception on the Lord's part. So it's not merely removal of guilt. It's not merely the declaration of grace. And it's not merely entrance into the divine life of God. It doesn't merely mean that now you live as God lives. It's all of that and more. This is from Jonah chapter 3. Forgiveness is a resurrection. If you look at Jonah chapter 3, what does he say once he's vomited him up out of the whale? What's the very first thing he says? Somebody flip back quickly to Jonah chapter 3. Everybody else hold your spot in Luke chapter 15. Jonah 3 verse 2. Arise. The very first thing he says. He spit him up and, and literally in the Hebrew it says he vomited him up. He vomits him up on the side of the beach, and the very first thing he says to Jonah is, arise. And in the Greek, the word is anastasis, which is the same word that's used of whose resurrection? Jesus' resurrection. So Jonah's vomited up out of the whale, and the Lord says, be resurrected and go. Be resurrected and go. Okay? Now, if you don't believe me, you've got Luke chapter 15. Is everybody there? Somebody want to read it one time for us, 11 to 32? Okay, come on now. Okay, I'll read it. Oh, go ahead, Peter. Perfect. All of you have heard this story before, but in some sense it's Jonah's story. Just go all the way back to the very beginning, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property. Now, 
If you were at the Joy Group on Wednesday, you've heard some of this. Don't answer, Jack and Maddie. Okay? There are no special bonus points, all right? Now, if you know anything about inheritances, who gets the inheritance, the younger son or the older son? This is easy stuff. Older son, okay? And when does the inheritance come? At death. Yes, exactly right. So when the younger son says to his old man, give me my share of the inheritance, what is he asking his old man to do? Die. Yeah, exactly. Now imagine if your kid came to you and said, hey, Dad, go ahead and die now. All hell would break loose. The younger son, so it's completely upside down, the younger son, who the inheritance is not going to, comes to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Dad, you can go ahead and die now. Now, the strangest thing happens. If you were listening to this in first century Palestine, already you'd say, something's not right, but it gets worse. What does the father do? He actually gives his son the cash. He actually gives his son the cash. So the younger son, as it says, verse 13, now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, his iPhone, his Wii, his flat screen TV. He took all of it, like the Beverly Hillbillies, packed it up in his car, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And there, you know, if you're younger, you can fill in the gaps differently than if you're older. This is very NC-17, like, you probably shouldn't think too long about this. How did he squander his wealth? Who knows? Women, gambling, drinking, buying toys for his house. Who knows what he did? But when he had spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now, this boy is a little Jewish boy. And little Jewish boys in the first century wouldn't touch what? Pigs. If you didn't think this story could get any worse, it actually does. So this young Jewish man who gets his father's share of the inheritance goes off, and he's so desperate that he actually has to hire himself out to work with pigs. He has hit rock bottom. And he was longing, verse 16, to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? What are hired servants? Slaves, right? How many of my father's slaves have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise. Guess what the Greek word is? Resurrect. I will resurrect and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What's he going to do with his father? This is the most important part of the text. Now, you were at the Joy Group, weren't you? So you cheated. You know, you Joy Groupers. Love you. Yeah? What did you say? Yes, he wants to come back to life. How is the son proposing he's going to come back to life? He's going to be a slave. He's going to make a deal with his old man. Father, I know I've screwed up big time. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. If you only hire me back, we'll work this whole thing out. He's going to work his way back into the family. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. Now here's where it gets good. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. The Greek word is splachna. That's the most... That's the deepest, richest kind of compassion you can imagine. It's the kind Jesus always has. 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So while he's a long way off, the son is right here. The son is utterly dead. While he's a long way off, what happens? The father sees him. Now you have to read behind the text. The father sees him, which means the father is doing what? He's been out watching for his son. Okay? He's been out watching for his son. It's not like the son gets all the way to the door, knocks on the door, and the dad says, well, geez, we haven't seen you in two years. Every day the father is out watching for his son. Now, you know this man was a wealthy man because of all the stuff he ends up giving to his boy. And wealthy men lived where on the hill? At the top, yeah, because when you flush the toilet in first century Palestine, you wanted everything to go down. Yes, exactly. So this man is a very wealthy man. He's out on the top of the hill, and he sees his son off in the distance, off in the distance, hardly recognizable. He's thinner. He hasn't eaten in weeks. All of his good stuff is gone. There's no you know, big truck carrying back his Wii and his flat screen TV. He sees his son a long way off, and what does he do? He runs. And again, you won't get this unless you go to Jerusalem sometime. Aristotle said, noble men don't run. This man is a very noble man because he lives where? Top of the hill. So think about the fool the father has made of himself. The son asks him for the cash. He gives it. The son goes off and lives a reckless life. He's shamed. The boy comes back. He sees him. He's actually out watching for this kid. And when he sees his boy a long way off, what does he do? He runs to meet his son. He runs down the hill to find his boy, and then what does he do? Here you go. Verse 21. And the son said to him, now listen to what the son says. Hey, thanks for showing up, buddy. I was trying to get sparkle into this whole thing. Strutzel and I, just so you know, we were having a couple drinks the other night, and he said, if you can work sparkle into a Bible study and a sermon, I'll give you 20 bucks. So... $20. You can hand it over after the service. Thank you very much. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against... What's that? With a sparkle in his eye. Yes, the father says, only a musician could add that to the text. Father, with a sparkle in his eye, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Mueller, I love you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, period. What's missing of what the son has to say? This is the key to the text. He says, I have sinned. I'm very sorry. What's missing? Nope. Yes, Lindsay, what were you going to say? Let's make a deal. What's missing is the deal. He's always promised himself he's going to come back, he's going to apologize, and then he's going to say, I know my father really can't forgive me for all I've done, so I'm going to try to work my way back into the family. I'll apologize, I'll make an offer, we'll sign a contract, and we'll go forward. What happens? The son comes back. He says, I've sinned. I've embarrassed the family. I've shamed our family name. And the father puts a period on it. Boom. The boy doesn't get out one word of his deal. This is the whole text. This is the prodigal son. But the father said to him, it's almost as though the boy says, and make me, and he sort of interrupts his son, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do. Make me, but the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. The key to the text. It's a Jonah story. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You remember, if you've ever seen the Technicolor Dreamcoat, if you got a robe, it meant you were what? 
royalty. If you got a ring, a signet ring, you were part of the family. You could stamp it on an envelope. If you got sandals, who went barefoot in the, in the, early, in the, in the ancient world? Slaves. So you were a son. All of this happens in you know, 20 verses of the prodigal son, and all of this happens to Jonah. And I would propose to you, at least, that in this one little story, you have the whole story of the divine service. At the very beginning of the divine service, what's the very first thing the pastor says? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. If you remember the Solomon story, he's standing in the temple, and he says, Lord, how are we going to know that you're going to be here? And what does the Lord say? I'll put my name there. So whenever my name is spoken, what happens? I'm there. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father runs down to meet us, his prodigal sons and daughters. And what happens the whole time? He puts a robe on us. He puts a ring on our hand. He puts sandals on our feet. He reads to us. He preaches to us. He absolves us. He gives us all of his gifts until ultimately what's the last great gift he gives? He slaughters the fattened calf as Christ. What happens on Calvary is represented on this altar. Okay? It's not bread and it's not wine. It's not just flesh and blood. What happened on Calvary is represented on our very altar. And then we celebrate. Okay? Now look at your outline. That all makes sense? This is very easy. I mean, this is the Christian life. This is the story. So look at your outline. And we've tried to, we've tried to go the story, the trouble, and the target. We've got about eight minutes left, so we have just enough time. What's the trouble with forgiveness? There are probably more than these, but at least in five or ten minutes in my office, this is what I could think of. And think about the Jonah story now. Forgiveness can be hard to receive. Okay, that's the first point. You've seen this, where your sins, or frankly your own self, sort of gets in the way. You say things like, well, the Lord could never forgive me for that. Or, worse yet, I can't forgive myself. If you say you can't forgive yourself, your own self has become an idol. Forgiveness can be hard to give. Our hurt feelings stand in the way. I can't believe they did that to me. It was the text from today's gospel. If your brother sins against you seven times and asks for repentance, er, repents seven times, how many times should you forgive him? Seven times. And we say, oh, but that last one really hurt more than the first six. That's going to be tough to deal with. Forgiveness can be hard to observe in others. This is the Jonah text. What happens to Jonah? He sins, and the part he didn't read to you, which is just as good, is the first part of Jonah. He gets in the boat. He tries to head away. What happens when he's in the boat? Big storm. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. This is like a children's sermon. Jesus, right? What happens when Jesus is on the boat? The storm stops. What happens when Jonah finally gets off the boat? The storm stops. See? This is all the Jesus story. But forgiveness, as you know with Jonah, can be very hard to observe in others. He loves that he himself is forgiven. But then when he goes to those sinners, he can't believe the Lord is willing to forgive them. As I say there, by nature, we're justice folks. By nature, we want equality, not mercy. If I got this, then you should get this. Rather than saying, I actually love it that you got something better than I did. And forgiveness, and this is really verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 2, forgiveness can often be the last word and not the first. You know this from your life. It's all too easy to say forgiveness is Christ's very last word to us. 
period. But as you know from the Jonah text, forgiveness is what word? First word, arise, be resurrected, be forgiven, and go. So you are forgiven, and then you live forgiven. Or the prodigal son, he is forgiven, and now he's going to go off and he's going to live like a son. He's going to live forgiven. So what's the target? The target is an eighth-day life. That's the target. And I've given you there all the times, and not all the times, there are other times, but the times when eights appear in the scriptures. You remember eight. Eight is the number that a number of folks who were saved on the ark. Eight is the day when little Jewish boys were incorporated into the kingdom by way of circumcision. On the eighth day, you became a member of the kingdom. It's the day when Jesus rose from the dead, the day, as the liturgy of the Easter vigil proclaims, the seal of the grave is broken and a new creation breaks forth out of night, a new creation. It's the day when Jesus gave his keys to his priestly apostles in the upper room. He breathes on them. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. And it's also the day, and now I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the eighth day is also the day when Jesus prepares supper in a little town called Emmaus. And you remember the Emmaus story. What happens when Jesus blesses the bread and breaks it? Their eyes are opened. Now think all the way back to the book of Genesis. What happens when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they take one bite of the fruit? Their eyes are open. See how great this is? The eyes that were once opened to evil by Satan in Eden. They ate the fruit and their eyes were open to evil. Are now closed when Jesus breaks bread and gives it out. What Jesus does at Emmaus is a reversal of what happens in the garden. You know evil because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They ate the fruit. You know redemption. You know new creation. You know forgiveness. You know resurrection. Because what did Jesus does at the altar? He breaks bread, he gives it out, and he says, this is my body and this is my blood. So eight is the number of resurrection. It's the number that will have no end. And I want to show you a neat thing here in one second, and then we'll be just done. But what's the target? The target is to live a life of forgiveness, to live an eighth-day life, a new creation life. To live an eighth-day life, last point, is to live in the spirit of the resurrection, which is the spirit of the new creation, which is ultimately the spirit of forgiveness. And our forgiven lives, like the day in which we live, you always live in the eighth day. There's no one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven anymore. It's all eight. Your forgiven life, like that day, should have no end. Now, I want to show you a neat thing here. Flip back to Jonah. Look at Jonah 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. What does it say? Three days and three nights. Okay? Now, look at chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. What does it say? Yeah, how long did it take him to get there? Three days. Then the next day he preaches, and then what happens? He sits under the tree. 
3 plus 3 is 1 plus 1 is 2. 6 plus 2 is 8. There are 8 days from when Jonah starts to when Jonah ends. Maybe there's a connection to resurrection. Maybe there's a connection to the 8th day. Maybe there's a connection to the new creation. What Jonah was so opposed to, seeing his people forgiven, he actually embodied in how many days he was in the fish, how long it took him to get there, how long he preached, and how long he sat under the shade of the beanstalk. Eight days. That's the life that Christ calls us to, and that's a life of forgiveness. Now, I rushed through that even more quickly than I went through the joy group. So, you are, yeah, well, you said it. I wouldn't say you're old. You're just mature. Did, every, did anybody have any questions? Yes, Mr. Lee. Yep. Not abolished. Abolished would be a law way of talking. It's like when people say, well, there is no more law because the law has been abolished. The law hasn't been abolished, and neither is the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been fulfilled and recreated. So Jesus himself dies on what day of the week? Friday, that's the sixth day. Like his father, he rests in the tomb on Saturday, the seventh day. If you're a Jew, what day is your Sabbath? Saturday. And he rises from the dead on Sunday, the eighth day. The Lord doesn't say to the old creation, forget about all of you, I'm going to start fresh. He did that with Noah. But what does he say now? I'm going to take what I had before, and I'm going to renew it. And that's why Jesus rises on the eighth day. And the eighth day is your day. Uh, someone else had it. Larry Lee, do you have a quick question? Yes. <laughs> I can, but uh, not in 38 seconds. Um, we'll talk about that next time, maybe. We'll see. Depends on how much trouble I want to be in. Love you, though. Thanks for asking the question. Okay. Let's pray. We've got a baptism coming, so I do want to get out on time. We've got guests here and pastors here and all that good stuff. Thank you for coming. Jonah is resurrection. Your life is resurrection. It's all a good gift. Let us pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much.